It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. So on the drive over here, I was thinking about what to talk about on the podcast with you now, here, now. And one subject that has been really, really uncomfortable for me to not just think about, but really talk, I really haven't talked about this with anybody, I don't think. I've just been kind of circling and coagulating in my mind, is aging, is, is getting older. And I've been really observing myself being super self-conscious about it for the first time ever. And it's been an interesting thing to sit with those emotions as they arise in more frequency than they ever have. And I don't think I've given it a ton of thought. Well, I remember giving it thought like on the big milestone birthdays. On I remember my 30th birthday, like being out of my 20s and thinking like, oh my God, I'm not in my 20s anymore. What the hell? And then the 40th birthday, which you threw me this incredible uh, magical 40th birthday celebration. I, I remember feeling it too, but also, but, but well, in a different way, like not, not you this, as in me, Whitney. Yes. As in Whitney. Yes. As in, as in Whitney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have to remember, I think as we're learning how to podcast, I've noticed that <laughs> Jason often will say you, assuming people know that he's, that you're talking about me. Yes. I mean, not Whitney. you, the listener. Correct. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe depending on who's listening, you may have been at that 40th birthday party. There's a lot of people there. My point is, I, in my early 40s now, I'm turning 42 in just a few short months. There's an interesting relationship with aging. And I think for me, it's, it's what brings it about this sitting with the discomfort of aging, per se, is the physical changes I'm observing. Is, the, is really like, you know, I was looking at my face in the mirror today and how much gray hair is in my beard now and how much gray hair is on my head. And, and it's so funny because I don't even notice it. It's so interesting. I've actually been thinking a lot about so this in terms of people's appearance is that we notice things about ourselves. That other people probably don't notice at all. And so is that, I don't know if you call it insecurity or whatever's coming up for you. Is that, because you're afraid of what other people are going to think about you? Or is it like something about you not let... That's the thing when, when we really have these feelings, these uncomfortable feelings about our appearance, are they because we're afraid of what other people will think about how we look? Because why would it matter to you what you look like? Honestly, if you could try just for a moment hmm. thinking about how you feel about the way you look, and then try to remove anybody else's opinion of it. Would you have a negative or positive feeling about what you look like if it didn't matter at all what other people think? I want to clarify this because you bring up a really. Well, can you answer that question though? Like, do you, is your when you look in the mirror, 
Yeah. And you see your gray hair, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Are you feeling whatever you're feeling because of of like your perception of it? And yes. how do you even know that? Yes. And I'll, I'll say, because I've thought about this a lot in the sense of the feeling that it engenders in me or the feeling that I notice or that I'm aware of it arising in myself is honestly at the core, it's mortality. It's the physical signs of age. It's like, oh, you're not in your 20s anymore. You're not in your 30s anymore. You're in your 40s now. And there's two There's two sides of it because it's not necessarily, well, okay, I'm going to go on a mini rant here because you asked a really good question. I really want to make sure that, that because as you're asking it, it's such a good question. I'm sorting out the feelings inside of myself around it. One part of it is, is mortality, you know, is this thing of, wow, dude, you're firmly in your 40s now. And you're seeing gray hairs and, and, you know, when I work out, my body doesn't recover as quickly as it used to. And I can't necessarily work out with the same kind of reckless abandon I used to, you know, it's, it's this thing of like the, it's almost like mentally, like the signs of aging is like, oh, you're closer to death, dude. You're closer to death. That's okay. one side of it. Okay. But can I pause mind, you there? The mortality side. Right. But here's the thing. 40, I mean, you're a man that. Do you still hope and plan to live to 100? That's all the, things considered. That's the aim. You're not even halfway there. Yeah. I mean, that. this gets me so worked up because that's why I think society has a bigger role in this than it being about ourselves, right? Because if you feel confident that you're going to live to 100 at the least, which I actually think is incredibly possible, you were there when... It was at Wellspring Conference when Dave Asprey spoke and talked about how old he wanted to live. He was like planning, right? Yeah. Didn't yeah, he bring we that up there. in his talk? How yeah. old did he say he was planning 115, on? 120, something no, like that? No, no, no. It was I, older than it that? Was, it was like- 150? Because 115, 120, to me, I think that's absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not a scientist or researcher and on, or a subject expert on longevity, but- it seems to me that living to 100 is very, very possible. And I think Dave Asprey, like, it's some crazy number. I might have to look it up because he is convinced. Mm -hmm. And for those mm -hmm. who are unfamiliar with who Dave Asprey is, he's very well known for his brand Bulletproof. He has a podcast and he has a product line and he's doing all of these things. And he's very passionate about longevity, high performance. And even though he's not a big supporter of veganism, I really believe in so much of what he says. I'm very drawn to his work. And anyways, he's just about optimizing, right? So, right. so you are too, is my point, Jason, is I that am. you are constantly doing things. And actually a great example of, of this is yesterday when we were talking about that man who went viral for his dance video with the beard. Oh, right. With the <sighs> Post Malone. Yeah, I we could link to that in the show notes. Sure. I don't remember what his name is, but if you go to wellevator.com and look at the the blog, the show notes for the podcast, we will have some details on what we're talking about, including Dave Asprey. So W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com is where all this lives. And he was just on the Ellen show. Yeah. I mean, he just he was like a viral sensation because you know who actually I think helped promote it initially was Jay. 
whose name I I keep getting sh- sh- Jay Shetty. Shetty, yes, yeah. thank you. I don't know. I get insecure about saying his name. <laughs> but uh, Jay Shetty, I think, might have been one of the original people to share that post, and and the image of it was something about how you can make your dreams come true at any age. Mm. And they show this guy. But Mm. what was interesting is that that was shown without context. And a lot of people assumed that he was in his 60s. Yes. And we found out within the past few days that he's actually 43, which is what, a year or two older than you? Yeah, going to be a year older. Yeah. Uh Right. And so then Jason and I were talking yesterday how, wow, like people are actually surprised. They have the opposite reaction to you, Jason. People think that you're a lot younger. Mm -hmm. and so. Part of that is like appearance is really nothing, right? Because mm-hmm. we have kind of this cultural idea of what it looks like to be 42 or whatever. And if somebody has a lot of gray hair, then we think that they're a lot older. Or if they're, you know, we look at people's weights and we look at their skin and we look at their hair color. We look at all these things to assess how old they are. And then we, as a, a society, we're very obsessed with age. Yeah. Right. So I get really worked up about this, and I'll I'll share more in a moment. I want to let you finish your rant, but just to interject (laughs) is that I'm kind of shocked that you are having these feelings about mortality when, A, as we've talked about in other episodes, we have no idea how long we're going to live. We're not guaranteed any age in our lives. I mean, children pass away. You know, babies don't even make it. Like, we can die at any age in our lives. And it's so important to remember that because we just get obsessed with this idea of mortality. But also, Jason, I just I'm I'm expressing a little bit of a surprise that you would feel the, a sense of mortality when you're technically not even halfway through this life that you plan on living, if you have any control over it, <laughs> which you don't. But you know, for for the most part, our whole brand Wellevator is about helping people optimize their health, and longevity is a big role in this, right? So we believe that if you take certain steps with your nutrition and your sleep and your exercise and your mentality and you just go through your life and really do your best to take care of yourself, that's what wellness is, this holistic view, mm-hmm. then you are increasing your chances of living longer. Right, right? Not a guarantee. Right. I mean, we still have the environment, so we need to take good care of the environment, too, because air pollution is also an issue, water pollution, soil, all of those other things that we might not have as much control of, but we can contribute to improving. But then there's there's so many factors. There's wars and there's, you know, there's terrorism and there's all these other issues like car accidents. We have no idea how something could happen to us. But in terms of our health specifically, which is usually... Right. Statistically, off the top of my head, isn't health the main reason that people die? Poor health. Right. Yeah, well, it's well, not car li- accidents, lifestyle, is it? lifestyle related choices. Yeah. We, life- can, we can call right. it that because okay. because there's nutrition, there's diet, there's exercising or not exercising. There's the everything you said, the mindset. Sure. So, so, so all that lifestyle is the greater percentage. So, yes. in other words, less people die from freak accidents and terrorism and whatever else. Climate disasters, all those things. Yeah. I, I mean, granted, we didn't look up the statistics right before we started recording. So, but well, you did I've, a lot I, of research for your book. I did. So and, and as of what, four or five years ago when correct, you wrote the book? Correct. And back then, you know, doing this megalithic mountain of research, yes, it, it, if we look at the leading causes of death, and, and I don't have the statistics exactly worldwide, but if we're talking about the United States, we're talking about heart disease. We're talking about cancer. We're talking about things, 
that there have been many peer-reviewed double-blind studies and, and research about like, look, you know, lifestyle choices do contribute to what degree we don't know, right? I mean, the, the in the degrees of, I'm a big fan of the research in epigenetics, which is this mm-hmm. idea yes. that you can have a existing predisposition to something. Mm-hmm. But in the school of epigenetics and the research therein, the whole idea is that your genetics load the gun, your lifestyle choices pull the trigger right. or not pull the trigger, mm-hmm. right? So we don't know exactly how long we're going to live, right? And I've had people kind of do the devil's advocate thing during you know the years we've been doing this, almost 15 for me, right? It's we like being who? You, Whitney, and I have been doing <laughs> yeah. this. And this idea that like, well, I'm just going to live my life and have fun, whatever. And my whole thing is like, yes, and if I know that I can stack the deck for myself, if I can stack the deck in the sense of I'm making choices where my body feels good, my mind feels good, I'm in good shape, I have endurance, I have strength, I'm just feeling vital in life, then I'm likely stacking the deck to live a long, conscious, joyful, vital life, right? There's no guarantee, right? It's not like, oh, you're vegan and you work out and you meditate and you eat organic and you're da 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 and you have healthy relationships. It doesn't guarantee I'm going to live to 100 and beyond, but I'm stacking the damn deck mm-hmm. in my favor mm-hmm. with no guarantee, but I'm stacking that damn deck hard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing is the devil's at, well, there's no guarantee you do all this stuff or you could eat all this tofu and drop dead. It's like, yeah, that's true. I could, but I'm hedging my bets mm-hmm. as an investor would mm-hmm. to say, if I make these choices and I invest in myself this way, I'm pretty damn confident I'm going to live a long, healthy, vital life. Okay, so you, it's like investing. You just said you are pretty damn confident that you're going to live a long life. So why is it that when you look in the mirror, you have feelings of mortality at 40 something years old? Do you think that that's culture? integrating in your brain, scaring you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I I think I think it's go ahead because I have so many thoughts. (laughs) I mean, and it's really wonderful that we started talking about your perspective on this first. Granted, we're having a conversation, but you started this off. Yeah. As a man. I think that that we didn't even like plan that necessarily. We're being strategic about who's going to talk about their appearance and aging first. But I think we are so used to hearing women talking about these things because when we look at media in general, there's so much advertising that goes into helping women look young. Absolutely. And I'm actually incredibly fascinated by this older that I get because I've actually, even up till now, I've just started how I have a few gray hairs, everyone. I've been plucking them out. I actually kind of enjoy taking them out. (laughs) I don't know if there's, you know, people, there's like this myth, like if if you pluck one out, two will grow back in its place. I don't know if that's actually true. It could be true, but I haven't noticed it. I started getting, I got my very first gray hair, I think like six years ago. And then there was like years that went by. And then a couple more started, like probably in the past year, they've been a little bit more frequent, but I've been blessed. You know, some some women get them very young, right? So mm-hmm. A, gray mm-hmm. hair does not necessarily related to a specific age. Gray hair can come about at any age. Well, I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration. I don't know if you like teenagers get gray hairs. Maybe they do, if maybe some nutritional deficiencies. But my point being is that a lot of us associate gray hair with older people. A not necessarily the case like that you're going to be 40 or 50 or whatever 
and you're going to get gray hair and oh my gosh, mortality. But you can also dye your hair, right? And I've been thinking about that too. I'm, I've been thinking like, okay, what's going to happen? What decision will I make when I start getting more gray hairs? Am I going to want to dye it? And then I started thinking about, this is really interesting. Like, why are we so ashamed of gray hair that we feel like we have to hide it? Right. Right. Like right. If it's a natural thing that everybody that lives, you know, into their 30s, 40s, everybody has at some point, why do we have so much shame that we need to dye our hair? Right. Mm -hmm. I struggle with that a lot. And I think there's a lot of pressure on women. Men, just, you know, from my perspective as a woman, it seems like men, you know, they, they become these, the silver fox. There it is. Right. There it is. There's, there's something kind of like sexy and there's whatever. But that's all just cultural. That's all just cultural messaging and, and conditioning. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us grow up with that messaging. And so we become to fear it and we have shame. I mean, Really, Jason, I wonder if what you're experiencing is shame more than anything else. Are you feeling ashamed that you have gray hair? And and you also recently expressed to me that you get you feel self-conscious about the wrinkles on your forehead. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you just brought that up like a month or so ago. And I remember feeling so surprised. Like, what? What? What is he talking about? Because I don't even see wrinkles when I look at you. Mm hmm. And in the photo, there was a specific photo I took of Jason with, that I thought was fantastic. And he said, I don't want to share this on social media because the wrinkles in my forehead. I hadn't even noticed them, Jason. And that even in a photo where it's like still and right there in front of you, I hadn't even noticed them. Yeah. And so it's just so fascinating how we have these like toxic thoughts that have been living with us most of our lives. Because of society, culture, media, advertising, all of that, that has been, it is like a disease in our brain. Don't you think it's got something to do with shame? What else would it be? Mm. I mean, I think most of our body issues have something to do with shame, is we are ashamed to look older. We're ashamed to be older. We're ashamed to look a certain weight, whatever that is, too thin or too overweight or too this or, you know, muffin tops and, and not having a flat stomach and having cellulite and wrinkles and all of these things. I mean, what if all of that was designed to keep us small, keep us insecure and market products to us? Oh, 100%. I, like, I, do you think all of that is there for yeah. that? Yeah, oh, mean, of course, because... because that's really messed up. Well, think... Okay, and I, I'm, I'm going to make a big declaration right now, but I believe this. I think that if we were able to snap our fingers, a la... Yeah. A la Infinity Gauntlet, no spoilers, and completely have people accept and love themselves exactly as they are, I pretty much damn near the entire beauty and cosmetic industry would instantly collapse. Instantly. It would instantly collapse. So we have billions and billions and billions of dollars in the cosmetic, surgery, diet, wellness, health, exercise, the whole thing, which is predicated, right, on this idea that you don't accept yourself the way you are. 
because of some societally predicated notion of at this age or this gender, you ought to look a certain way. And as a result, take this pill, get this surgery, buy this magazine, do this workout. I mean, with all due respect to Sarah Blakely, I've never met her. I've met her husband, Jesse Eisler, right? Sarah Blakely uh, created Spanx, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the whole thing here is like, and I'm not calling out Sarah Blakely. She's a woman billionaire, incredible businesswoman. But I'm saying as an example, you have a product that is like, well, much like corsets, it's it's no different than a corset, right? This it's isn't a, modern, a new idea. It's a modern corset, it's basically. This, it's this idea of there's an aesthetic preference you're trying to go for. But the question is, why do you have that aesthetic preference to your point, Whitney? Same thing with high heels and so many things well, lipstick. for women. Like lipstick. We're, we're, well, well, we're also talking about yeah, it. And, you know, I actually, to pause there, this is, I started uh, reading a few books related to this because I've been working on a book about body image. Yeah. And one of the books I read recently, or maybe it was an article, but they talked about how lipstick is meant <laughs> to essentiate. You knew this. Okay, go ahead. You say it. it. No, oh, you th- say th- it. That it is a subtle physical sexual cue that reminds the person on the other end observing it of the vagina it's Wait, it's, it's a was it the, maybe that was in the the russell brand podcast is that yeah, why, why yeah, we both heard yeah, it okay it's, yeah it's, okay it's, got it's, it it wasn't in the book it's a subconscious suggestion a vaginal suggestion of like the, the lips on your face when they're red and puckered and plump are supposed to send this subconscious message to your potential suitor of like hey i have a vagina <laughs> remember and I'm going to wear it on my face. But it, but honestly, though, the, the really subtleties. Do you think that somebody, the person that started was marketing lipstick or created lipstick consciously had that exact idea in mind? Or is it that people realized it over time? Like, was I it a people, conscious I, effort? I, I, don't, I think people realize, mm, this is a tough like, one, wh- right? Who, when somebody, and same thing with high heels. Like, high heels are supposed to, like. Not only like elongate the legs, elongate the legs, mm -hmm. your butt looks different. But I I think it's also about like vulnerability or looking like you're. Yes. Like there's looking like you're ready for sex or like something. I don't know. I don't know if that's what that means. Or you could be swept off your feet, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Or making you more vulnerable because it's really hard to walk in heels, right? Meaning you can't run away easily. Yeah. Whoa. See, do you think that when somebody created high heels, they were thinking about that? No. <laughs> Honestly, though, I don't know. maybe if we put a little lift on the back of this, like, <sighs> or did I don't even know. Now I really want to go and research the history of lipstick and and high heels and just like try to find the the answer to this. But my point being is that we have been so manipulated in these ways with our appearance, but we're at this point where. It's really tough. And I, I wonder if you feel this too, Jason, as a woman with social media. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for me, being somebody that posts on social media and has a brand based around social media. It is every time I post, I'm thinking I like, I, you know, I want to make sure if I don't have a filter on, like I want to make sure I have makeup on. Right. Even doing a video like this, it's I'm not wearing any makeup and I haven't done my hair and it I feel very vulnerable presenting myself with a clean face and all of that and so there's like this feeling of oh well who cares like i'm just gonna be who i am and i go through those phases but then i still have an insecurity around it and it's so uncomfortable because i'm it's just this fear of being seen for my it's like putting my flaws on display right? right and so there 
you know, I'm still in a place in my life right now where I don't feel comfortable posting something unless my hair and my makeup are done. And if I'm not doing hair and makeup, then I'm probably going to put on some sort of a filter or use some sort of editing program so that I can make myself look a little less flawed, right? And I also have shame in the fact that I do that because it's like kind of embarrassing that I'm I'm not fully secure with myself. And so there are times where we do videos like this and I'm, I just think, okay, you know, I'm just going to hope that nobody cares about what I look like on screen. And there, there are times where I feel very strong and comfortable with that. And uh, it's just kind of interesting how it takes up a lot of energy, a lot of emotions and a lot of thought and the, the amount of time that we spend, you know, doing all of these things. It's it's actually very sad in a way because time is so precious. Yeah. Yeah. And so the amount of time that women especially spend trying to look a way that they think is pleasing to others. And then you kind of step back and wonder, why does it even matter? Right? Well, like, that's, honestly, that's the fantastic question. All this. Why do, does it really even matter? Is there a make or break scenario in which you wear makeup and that changes your life? or you don't wear makeup, is not wearing makeup going to change your life that significantly? And then I sit here and I'll, I'll start to think about, okay, well, what am I hoping to achieve by looking a certain way? What response do you want to elicit, right? From I mean, others? I'm actually, because if others are observing you, sure, yes. then what response in those other people are you attempting to elicit by looking that That's way? That's part of it. Because you're not living in a vacuum. Right. But ultimately, for me, it's I'm thinking, what am I hoping to get out of this? Mm. Right. And that's a conscious thought or a subconscious thought. Like when you get really done up, right? Nice dress, heels, makeup, do the hair. No, I'm like, literally every day. Anytime I'm not alone, I'm thinking about this. Anytime I'm in front of the camera, whether it's an Instagram story or an Instagram picture or it's a YouTube video, or it's this video, or it's anything. Anytime I'm going to be observed by anybody or interact with anyone, I should say. So if I'm going to the grocery store, if I'm going, what every single time I am in the presence of other people virtually or, or physically, I'm thinking about this to one extent or another. Wow. How about you? Hmm. When I'm going out to the grocery store or running errands or whatever, I often will just wear like my most comfortable pair of shorts and a tank top and are a hoodie. You thinking, are you thinking to yourself, I know I'm going to be around people, but I'm going to wear this. I mean, that's my question mm -hmm. is, do you, maybe it'd be good to, after this conversation, just to observe yourself. Like, are you taking into consideration how other people will perceive you? Because even if you say, I don't care what people think of me. That's still a version of, of caring. Not caring is still caring. It's just, right? I mean, I don't think not caring what people think of you is actually not caring. I think you still care. You're just choosing. You're basically saying, if they don't like me, then I'm not going to let that bother me. Yeah. But that's still caring in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, it, it does make sense. And, and I'm just kind of examining my own thought process around it where... I think it depends on the context a lot. It really, this is a contextual thing because if I'm literally just running downtown to go grab whatever, a package of tempeh and broccoli from Whole Foods, 
I just go to the back of my door in my bedroom and just grab the tank top, grab a hoodie, throw shorts on and go. However, if it is a thing like a public event or something like that, or going on a date or something, there's a different consideration depending on the context of life. I understand that, but I'm asking in both scenarios, you're still thinking about what other people are going to think of you. It's just there's less investment or there's less concern with they. Right. Yeah, it's of course not that you literally are not thinking about what people are thinking of you. No, it's just there's less of an investment and there's less of a meticulous preparation and manicuring my appearance to try and fit in or impress or have an impact on others. When I'm going to Whole Foods to pick up broccoli, right? Like I'm not thinking about, ooh, is someone going to comment on my favorite hoodie? Because I love this hoodie and it's beautiful. I grab the hoodie because it's comfortable. Right. If I'm going on a date, I'm going to an awards show. I'm doing a YouTube video, you know, whatever it is, auditioning, whatever the thing is, speaking on stage, right? Like if I'm speaking to a crowd, like uh, at the longevity conference of whatever, a thousand, 1500 people, and I'm going up there in a suit, like my best suit and like looking razor sharp because I want to elicit a certain response or perception that people have of me. Like, wow, this dude's put together. He's manicured. His hair's done. He's in this really expensive suit. He's a great speaker. He's got his, he's, he's on his game. You know, when I go to Whole Foods, I'm not concerned with all that. To your point though, it still is. Yes. It's, it's, I think it's a consideration because we are tribal animals. Yes. And to whatever degree we want to admit this, we are still in this cerebral response to tribalism of if the tribe approves and accepts of me, I will be safe and taken care of. If I do something that is against the code of the tribe, i.e. society, I could get cast out, I could be shunned, I could be shamed, and if I'm not in good standing with the tribe and I'm cast out, that feels like death. It's not actual death anymore, like generations ago it was, right? And I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast of this, this tribal mentality that keeps us stuck now in modern society, where... Maybe we have a desire to let go of society standards. Maybe we have a desire to live a more authentic, radically individualized life or pursue that, right? Like shed the layers as we always talk about. But I think the things that hold us back, the fear that holds us back is what if people don't understand? What if they don't accept me? What if they don't embrace me? What if they don't love me? Then I'm proverbially now out in the forest wandering alone with no human contact and no one to love, understand and accept me. And that is freaking terrifying. And I think that ties back into aging too, is that, you know, biologically aging, there are things that we are less capable of doing, or in some cases incapable of doing. Right. Like physically incapable, right? As uh, Fertility is the biggest one, right? Is that because we are creatures that were designed to procreate, procreation it rules us as a society, right? It really does. I mean, like sex sells and sex is a big driver in our interactions and in the way that we want to appear we're like like we said before women especially dressing up to attract the right mate or whatever and how interesting it is that a lot of times when people get married they seem to care less about their appearance because they've already achieved that thing that's attached to procreation when you become a mom or a dad there's this like cultural joke about a mom bod and a dad bod because right. Because they're doing less to attract, and which is also fascinating because there's suddenly all this shame around whatever it is. Like usually it's it's associated with gaining weight, right? 
or the way that you dress. It's like you don't dress as provocatively when you're married with kids or you maybe gain more weight around your midsection, which is also by our cultural standards considered to be less attractive. And perhaps you just don't care as much about being attractive because you've achieved that big thing in our society, which is getting married and having kids. Mm -hmm. So once we achieve these things, it's like a lot of people just let go. But then some people don't, right? Then some people are so attached to their appearance. They want to stay in great shape maybe because they see the health benefits or they want to stay in great shape because they want validation and approval from other people. And it's not just about procreating. It's like they see because sex sells. Maybe they don't need to have actual sex with somebody, but they know if they look sexy, then they'll be able to sell whatever they're selling. And, you know, and so if you really start to break down all of these things, we look at it, it is very primal, right? Oh, yeah. These primal, des- most of our decisions about how we look is about do we look a way that's going to attract a mate or attract a partner? And is this something that we can do that's age appropriate or whatever that means? But then a lot of the shame around aging is like, well, you can't procreate anymore, so you're not as useful. Or you're getting old, so you're a burden to society, whatever it is. Although a lot of the reading I've been doing, too, shows that culturally, depending on the culture, I should say, older people tend to be very valuable because of their wisdom, right? So that's what's also interesting, too, is it becomes less about your appearance, but more about your wisdom. And I think that Jason and I are both passionate about that. So a lot of the times when I feel like I don't care, like in while we're recording this video, for example, part of me is like, but I'm not I'm not here to sell sex. I'm here to to share wisdom. Right. So I don't want people to be concerned about how I look. I want them to be concerned with what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. That the older I get, the more important that is. However, I'm still in an age range where it's like and because I don't have children yet, it's I'm, I'm still in that like primal part of my life of yeah, but I need I need to be sexy as well as wise. And mm. that's do you think that ties into how you feel too, Jason? Is that I know for you wisdom's a huge part of your life because you you want substance, you want depth. But there's also this we're both in a time of our lives where you've said it many times, you want to get married and you probably might want to have children, so you're still in a place where technically you need to present yourself. Peacock, as yeah. they say. <laughs> and also, as I said, we have chosen career paths that are very much about selling ourselves. So, of course, like our appearances are important because sex is one of the best ways to sell. So do we want to be culturally perceived as sexy? Mm. Such an interesting subject. Do we want to be culturally perceived as sexy? And so maybe coming back to your original mm. point, do you feel like getting the gray hair and the wrinkles makes you less attractive? Is age, because age in general in our culture is seen as less sexy, is that why you feel like you're getting triggered by it? I think that's part of it. I think the bigger part of it is this. Because you said it was mortality, so I'm just, I'm just jumping right. in. Is it mortality? It- Is it the sex factor or is it both somehow? It is, but I'll tell you what supersedes both of those things is this this bug in my brain that I'm doing better at eradicating, but it's still there. It still rears itself. 
is this notion, this illusory notion, that by a certain age, you ought to have done X, Y, and Z. Okay, so I want to break this down really quick because I think the toxic messages we get for men and women are very different in this culture as we age and in general. It's like the Venn diagram because there's some overlap, but there's, there's some, also some completely separate messages. Yes, and I think to generalize, and we're talking just about, and I'll just say masculine, feminine energies because there's same-sex couples, but sure. in all the same-sex couples I know, there's generally someone who occupies more of a prototypically masculine energy and someone who occupies more of a prototypically feminine. So when I say man, woman, I'm talking about masculine, feminine energies, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we understand them. And there is overlap. But my point is this, as someone who identifies as a man who defaults primarily to masculine energy, who has also cultivated a lot of sensitivity and prototypically feminine energy, I feel a lot of pressure, okay? And I know it's bullshit and I know it's society and I know it's an illusion, but it's still there and I'm still decoding it and trying to shed it is this idea that as a man in my 40s, okay, I ought to have a certain amount of wealth. I ought to have a certain amount of retirement savings. I ought to already own a house. I ought to be able to provide on a certain level. I ought to be more successful in my business. It's, it's I think prototypically the masculine is about material and providing. And if men are not generating income or generating material subsistence, it's this kind of old notion of like, well, okay, like this old school thing of men are the provider, men are providing the material, men are providing, you know, we go out and hunt and we drag the carcass back, this is a little gross, but you know what I mean, like we, we drag the meal back to the, the tribe and feed the village. And I still think there's this primal, as you said, almost like ancestral reptilian thing of like, go out, conquer, hunt, and win. And like this thing of like, that's still there in me that I wonder, is that ancestral and genetic, or am I defaulting to society's standards of, well, if you're a man in your 40s, you ought to do blah, 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 blah. And it really messes me up mentally sometimes to sit in that. And I think my question- Why does it mess you up? Because like, if it does, that's the thing is, I get why, but if we look at it from a consciousness standpoint, all of those things you listed have like very little to do with other people. Because- the amount of wealth that you accumulate, if you're concerned with what other people think about you, it's just a matter of you getting validation from other people. Because if somebody's judging you based on how much money you've accumulated or how much money you're making, that's just an emotional judgment. I'm judging that's myself, not, though. But I, are you judging yourself because of these societal standards? It's is comparison. My point. It's comparison. And so why are you allowing yourself to judge yourself like that it's not help how does that help you at all you could say it's motivation sure but really motivation and self-judgment are kind of like canceling each other out right because the angst the anxiety the sadness that you might feel for not having those things is detrimental to your success in a way it holds you back because that energy is very draining it it, it makes you feel less than it makes you it sometimes you don't even want to get out of bed when you're feeling those things so if it's motivating you, again, it's just kind of canceling itself out, right? To my point being that I'm curious why that matters so much, because if wealth is at the core, at a primal desire, if that's about security, you are the only one that that security matters to, unless you have children or someone, a, a dependent, right? Or if five you, animals. Sure. I mean, you have animals, but 
let's be honest, they're really not that expensive. <laughs> you can easily provide from for them. For sure. So as long as you're providing for yourself and any dependents, why does it matter how much money you make? And you're tying back into the cultural perception of it. But again, in the grand scheme of things, if you can make it to 100 or plus, right? If that's your one of your big goals in life is to live to those ages, it just other people's perceptions of us really just don't matter. In, in fact, even your success doesn't even matter, right? Because if you're going to get hired for a job, what's an employer or a or somebody that you're working with, a collaborator going to say, well, Jason, we're not going to hire you for this because you haven't made enough money. No, they're not going to say that. So, so again, why does it even matter? Okay, so I need to interject because you just reminded me of something, and this is a very tangential connection. You bring up a brilliant point, and I want to make an analogy, if I may. And I also want to clarify, it's, it's me asking you why it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it's easy to snap your fingers and be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. My whole life has changed in this instance. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> implying that it's an easy shift to make because I guess I'm bringing it up more of a rhetorical question because it's just another example of how society is controlling us and, and how deep all of these insecurities about our appearance are. Okay. So let me go a layer deeper, and I think I know where, where like, if we track this back, okay? To the root? I want to track it back, if I may. Yeah. I just want to go, right? Yeah. Pedal to the metal. In this conversation, it's about what's my net income each year, and using that as a way to keep score or define ourselves or validate ourselves or feel enough, and it's all comparison. If I remember back to how much pressure there was to get a certain grade mm-hmm. and a certain GPA yep. and a certain SAT score, and a certain ACT score and score a certain number of points in the basketball game. From childhood, we are put into a context of a finite game that is all about if you want to be a winner and you want to be successful and you want to get into the right college and then you need to get the right GPA at the college so you can get hired because da 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 da. No one has in the in decades I've been working. Right. And especially when I was doing office jobs in the advertising business, all the things I did. No one ever asked me what my GPA was. All this pressure, all this pressure to get this number on a piece of paper or a computer screen. And in my professional career, all the things I've done for work, no one's ever asked what my GPA was or or how successful you were at playing basketball or whatever. No, Like, oh, dude, what was your point? What was your scoring? How many trophies did you get? Yeah. Right. And so now our version as adults is we're not concerned about SAT. We're not concerned about GPA. We're concerned about our waist size, our bust size, our age, the numbers in our bank account, our retirement savings. We're in this finite game of numbers in a system we made up. Yes. We made this up Mm -hmm. and we're creating a container of a game of, Even when it comes to time, if you think about it, it's all made up. Yeah, we made time this is up. all um, like literal numbers in time. Right. So, are made so, up so, by us. so we're using arbitrary measures in a finite game that we created and we continue to perpetuate because we keep agreeing it's real to define people's self worth or lack thereof. And we, who do we celebrate in our culture? Like generally, right? Who we celebrate are the Jeff Bezos. And the Bill Gateses and the Elon Muskes. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk about Elon for a second because we have a different opinion of him. But it's, wow, we put this person up to a level of a deity 
because he's worth $150 billion. Or we look at social media and how, oh my gosh, that person has millions of followers on this platform. But we use that as a reflection of yes, their value as of a the being. Worth. Yes. And to me, that's the thing I am aware of and trying to break within myself. And I do mean break it because this association of the numbers on the page or the screen have anything to do with my intrinsic worth as a being that needs, I'm doing my best to unravel it, understand it, and then eradicate it because it's toxic. I think it's, it's the toxic. root of a lot of suffering that people feel is everything that you're bringing up here is that as human beings, we are looking for meaning in life. We're looking yeah. to feel like we matter. I mean, that that is actually, I think, at the root and a huge explanation for social media, right? All these numbers that we have is when people get addicted to their followers and the amount of likes that they have and all that is because they feel like they matter because of those numbers. Just as people feel like they matter when they drive a nice car because the car's showing that they have a lot of money to afford that car or to get the house or whatever, all of these different things. It's like, we matter. We're important. You can see us. We feel validated now. Right. And yeah, but at the core, as we've talked about in so many episodes, really, there's something so much more that we want because you can get all of those things. You can get the followers. You can get the money. You can get the cars. You can have the wards, all of these things. And you'll get them and still feel empty inside. And one of the bigger messages that is, I think has been a thread through with our podcast episodes is that Jason and I are both really passionate about finding a way to work through all those desires that have been embedded in us through our culture because we want sustainable happiness. We want true happiness. And, you know, why does it matter? How is your happiness to hide into whether or not you have gray hairs or wrinkles, right? I mean, I think if it was truly about mortality, as you started this episode off with, that could make some sense, right? But even so, since we don't have any control of how long you live, I mean, your hair is not an indication of how long you're going to live, Jason. <laughs> it's true. Nor your wrinkles, yeah. right? Yeah. And if we can start to let go of this addiction to validation and approval from the tribe, which is, as you said, very challenging because it is a very primal thing. I mean, there is a reason that we want those things. It's just that I think ultimately everything we've been saying in this episode is getting away from kind of the more superficial manipulations that have been happening. Yes. Because, yes, I think biologically speaking, as a species, we have an ultimate desire to survive. Like, that's what we're wired for is survival. And so mating with somebody else is tied into survival. Procreating, having children is tied into survival. That's why those two things are such big things in our culture. Having money is tied into survival, right? So that you can provide for that family, that mate that you have, or be provided for, right? So if we look at some of the roots of these things that are, are so important to us, I think those are also tied into happiness because a part of our happiness is or some of the reasons we feel joy, like an orgasm, for example, right? It keeps us wanting to continue to have sex because we know that there's pleasure in having sex. And so biologically, we have to be wired. There has to be a reason for us to want to have sex beyond just having children, especially how we've evolved as human beings, right? Because now we're at a point where we make the decision whether or not to have children. We're not just like doing it like animals do. I think animals are wired a little bit differently, or maybe it's just a mental thing where it's just something that they do, 
I don't know if it's out of boredom or just like they're wired to procreate constantly, right? As human beings, we've evolved mentally so we can make that decision. Do I want to have children or not? Right. But there's still that draw to pleasure, which is tied into joy and happiness. So it's like we're living these lives that are very driven by happiness. And also simultaneously, we have all of these primal instincts. And then because we're such intelligent creatures, we have people who have learned how to manipulate all of those primal instincts and give us ways to feel happy. And yet I think right where we're at right now as a society is that we are so confused, Jason. And it's actually just breaking my heart saying those words. When you really tap into the confusion and the amount of discomfort, the despair that we feel, because we don't even know what we want anymore because of all this different messaging. There's just, it's like we're in this time of massive overwhelm because we could have everything is at our fingertips, anything we want to eat. We can just go to the grocery store, go through the drive-thru. Get it delivered. Not even that. You don't even have to leave the house anymore. If you want to have sex, you go on an app and you could, you could, if you really wanted to, you could instantly find somebody to have sex with at any moment's notice. You can pay somebody to, I mean, that's been going on for a long time, but I mean, I think prostitution, whatever it was, was legally, was it, is it illegal? Is prostitution illegal? In the state of California, it is. I guess it depends yeah. where you live, right? But it is or, the world's oldest profession. Yeah, but there you go, right? So it, it is, but now we have apps that make it easier. So we don't actually have to hire somebody. We just find somebody that that is, um, what's the word, saying yes to us, right? That's mm-hmm. giving their permission. We go on an app. Hey, are you interested in having sex with me? DTF? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, honestly, right? And yeah. we can joke about it, but yeah. we're at a point. We actually, we don't even have to leave our homes for any of these things no. we want. No. If we want to watch a movie, we watch it on our computer or our phones. If we want to order food, we can order it on our phones. If we want to have sex, we can order that on our or set that up on our phones. We literally could stay in our homes and have everything, including sex, come to us on an instant moment. But what we're discovering is these things don't make us happy, right? Yeah. Because we're always going to be wanting more. So we've we've just been we're in this place where we're addicted to getting pleasure. We're addicted to it, and then. At the root of a suffering, I think, is just we have everything we could possibly want and that's not making us happy. So maybe there's no point to staying alive anymore. Or maybe I'm just miserable and I don't know my way out of it. Maybe I feel alone. It's like we're connected to each other more than ever, but we're also feeling loneliness more than ever. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's kind of mind boggling when you start to break all of these things down. We're we're really living in in a pretty crazy time. It's like simultaneously magical and really terrifying. We're waiting in. Uh, I'm going to use Stephen Pressfield's quote and subvert it because I don't remember exactly what it was. But that right now it seems that culturally we are in a river that is a mile wide and an inch deep. Yes. Hmm where the soulfulness and the depth and getting to the heart of what it means to truly be human and truly thrive and be content and fulfilled has given way to our most basal level wiring in our brain, which is to get the highest yield for the least amount of effort. 
as Doug Lyles yes. talked about so wonderfully in the Pleasure Trap book, yep. which we, we can link to that in the show notes too. Wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And this idea that, as you said, Whitney, these, these, I mean, billion and trillion dollar industries are created on the basic understanding of this knowledge biologically that people want what they want, they want it right now. And that as our pleasure centers in our brain light up, and we expend the least amount of caloric energy to get those things, yes. we are wired to do that for survival. So on a yes. survival level, if I can stay in my cave, quote unquote, and not expend all this caloric energy hunting and finding, wait, you mean, wait, you mean dinner's going to get brought to me and sex is going to get brought to me and I can actually order a car online and never have mm -hmm. to go to a dealer. They'll bring the car to me and I never have to leave the house. That is speaking as you said, Whitney, so brilliantly to our most basic neurological primal wiring. And again, I'm not destroying capitalism here. That's not the point here, but unchecked, it is generating it because people are not aware that the advertisers and the corporations are preying on our most basic instinct and our most basic wiring. You can even make it's, money from your house. You don't even have to leave your house no, to make money anymore. No. I mean, literally, I think that we're we're getting closer and closer to this time where isolation. We are so isolated, which is also incredibly confusing because as human beings, we're wired to have community. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So I think part of this is like to go back to the appearance. We have this desire to feel attractive to get our basic needs met. Right. Even when we're staying at home, because as I said earlier, I want to look attractive on camera. I want to lo look attractive on, in my videos and in my photos. So it doesn't matter if I'm going out to interact with anybody in person. I still want to look attractive to anybody that's interacting with me online. And that's the other thing, too, is actually we have brought community into our homes through social media. So we are literally at the point where everything can be experienced in our homes without us having to leave. And eventually, even even sex could be virtual, right? Everything could be virtual where we may not leave at all. And maybe we feel on some level like we're getting our needs met, but we are getting so far away from more of the primal experiences. And I don't know if that is a bad thing necessarily because... I guess it's maybe we're just in such a big transition period. Maybe that's why it feels so uncomfortable, mm -hmm. because if we look at where we're at right now, that's been such a short amount of time that we've accessed all of those things, right? All of those things that we listed, most of them, I should say, are within the past five to 10 years that we've had access to those. You know, we we look at Postmates and Uber and Tinder and all these apps that have come up, Amazon. We look at the speed in which they can deliver things to you. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to this time where everything can be ordered, right? And so, yes, that is exciting. And I'm, I love technology. I think it's actually brilliant. I get it. You know, I was just saying the other day I had something delivered on Amazon. It took 11 hours for it to get to me without having a Prime membership, right? So we're at this point where, yeah, it is exciting, but it also is scary because of the transition that we're in and how the rest of humanity for all before these past 10 years or whatever, we didn't have those things. So we're in like this radically changing time. And I think that's probably why it does feel so confusing. I just don't know what does it mean for humanity? Like, are we necessarily going to, uh, you know, end humanity through all this stuff? I mean, people are afraid of, we were listening to the Joe Rogan 
Russell Brand podcast and they were talking about the machines and and robots and and how we're getting closer and closer to this ro- robotic time. Do we know if that's going to end humanity? We have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen. My point is we're in transition right now and I mm-hmm. think that's part of the some of the the fear, the despair, the suffering is coming from this place of this doesn't feel natural to us because it's so new. Right? Mhm. And do we need it to be natural? I don't know. I mean, environmentally, I'm not sure how good any of this stuff is for the planet. So maybe we're feeling suffering because the planet's dying. I don't know. I mean, we we only have 12 years to figure this out. That's pretty that's pretty frightening. Mm. That's that's really frightening. So <laughs> these are some pretty big topics. It's yeah. amazing what 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 can come up after Jason talking about gray hair. Yeah, I suddenly don't feel so bad about my gray hair anymore. <laughs> well, good. That was my uh, aim. And and, and that's and <laughs> that's my, no, but but, but isn't that the thing though? Is I think. I wanted to talk about solutions as, as we you know wrap this up. And when I say solutions, I mean when we start to feel not enoughness, when we find ourselves drowning in comparison, when we find ourselves nitpicking things like gray hair, you know, while the world is burning, <laughs> so to speak. Well, the world, I don't know, burning, changing, changing, I evolving. Know. I, it's like a phoenix right now. It's like maybe. a phoenix, maybe, yeah. maybe rising phoenix. from the ashes. Yeah, um, hopefully. Is this, first of all, zooming out and seeing the big picture? That there's other things I want to be putting my energy and love and focus on other than the number of colored hairs on my chin. But also the thing I've realized that when I am when I am in appreciation and when I am in awareness of what I am, who I am, and what's already present in my life, I don't ever feel lack in those states. So as an example of this, right? If I'm appreciating who I am. And really like feeling love for myself, I'm not looking in the mirror thinking about my wrinkles or my gray hair. If I'm, you know, in the driveway, you know, washing my seven-year-old car and like, you know, standing back and looking at it and going like, I really love this little car. In that moment, I'm not like, oh, dude, you need a Lambo. You need a Tesla. You need a blow. And like in that moment, I'm like in appreciation of it. If I'm really seeing my partner for who she is in her glory and her beauty and why I fell in love with her in the first place, right? I'm not thinking, oh, it might be better with someone else. Like, I think appreciation and presence are an antidote to not enoughness, are an antidote to these moments when we're, oh, maybe the grass is greener over there, or maybe life would be better over there. If I just get this thing, then I'll feel a sense of enoughness and completion. Appreciation, presence, and gratitude, for me, are states of being that when I really plug in and can sustain them, I'm not thinking about lack in those states of being, I'm not, it's not even a consideration. So for me, I'm trying my best to be present to the goodness that's already in my life and appreciate it, mm-hmm. deeply appreciate it. And that's my antidote. You know, that's how I can overcome these illusory feelings of, Hey, get that thing over there. Or maybe your life would be different if you just had her or had that or drove that or whatever it is, or had different numbers in your bank account. Appreciation, I think, for me is the is the antidote, hundred percent. I think also just being more conscious about what the root is, as we said, mm-hmm. you know, and understanding who we are as human beings. You know, that's part of the reason I really love psychology is I want to know why I'm thinking this and why I'm doing this and why I'm acting that way and why other people are acting that way, and just because other people are doing something 
doesn't mean that if you don't do it, that you're worse than them Mm -hmm. or even better than them. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's tough. Social media has made it challenging as much as it connects us and gives us access to all sorts of information and perspectives, which I think is beautiful. We also can fall into these comparison traps so much and look at someone and think maybe they're more successful because they look different than me. And maybe if I looked like them, then I would be successful like that. I mean, we just basically make all these judgments and assumptions about other people. And I think maybe that's what is at the root, too, is just thinking because we've been conditioned to think that our appearance is so important that if we can just change our appearance and that would change what our lives would be like and maybe we would have we would feel like we have everything we want we would be happier i mean maybe that's what the root is is if i look a certain way if i look the way i I think i'm supposed to look then i will feel happier because i'll get this this or if i look this way then i will get that and that will make me happy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think ultimately that's that's what it's all about And so if we can step back and say, that's not necessarily true, right? I mean, I'll just say that there have been so many times where I've dressed up. I've I've invested like an hour or two into getting ready, which feels like a lot for me. Because, I mean, if I don't get ready, I literally spend no time, maybe a few seconds brushing my hair or (laughs) putting an elastic band in my hair and putting my clothes on, okay, like a couple minutes a day. But when I get ready to go out, like at the bare minimum, I'm going to spend... 20 to 30 minutes like that's quick and at the maximum maybe i'm going to spend an hour or two getting ready and and ultra maximum maybe i'll go and get my nails done and my hair cut and blah 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 all these things maybe i'll spend a half of a day getting ready for something if it's important enough and there have been so many times where i've invested you know that hour or two into getting to looking nice and nothing came out of it right Mm -hmm. like i didn't meet anybody new I didn't make any more money. I didn't have an experience that I couldn't have had without looking that way. Right. So those are the times where I can stand back and say, gosh, why did I spend all this time trying to make myself look this way if I didn't get any results from it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing, too, is we have to really step back and say, unless there is actual joy in getting ready, which I think there can be sometimes. I mean, I, I feel more confident and that feels good, but am I only feeling more confident because I've been conditioned to feel confident when I look a certain way? It's interesting. Right? Versus how do I feel or in what context or in what dress do I feel most like myself? Right? So when you say that, I know for me, if you were to be like, dude, if I were just to have a closet full a la Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg of just like one, you know, Steve Jobs, what had his jeans and his turtlenecks mm-hmm. and Mark Zuckerberg has got his gray t-shirt and his jeans, whatever, because they don't want to think about it. It's yeah. their thing. For me, honestly, like there's a certain thing that I put on and I feel most myself. And you know what that is? Hmm. It's a jet black t-shirt or a white t-shirt, an old pair of jeans and sneakers. Which is funny because you're not wearing any of that right now. No, I'm so not. do you not feel like yourself in this moment? Is no, I no, no, <laughs> no, I do. But I think there's this thing of like, how am I trying to explain it? Of just like, yeah, this is just like what I like to wear. And I kind of want to maybe pull a Jobs or a Zuckerberg and just go out and buy a bunch of black t-shirts and jeans and call it a day <laughs> Honestly, and just call it a day. I, I, sure. I do sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's a whole nother conversation about decision fatigue and overcoming that. But yeah, I guess. 
the heart of this, Whitney, in this exploration is how do we get to the core of who we truly are, independent of society's expectations, independent of society's conditioning? How do we break that down? And as you said, understand what's motivating us, what's driving our desires, what's driving our decisions. And also, I trip on this question a lot. Are we ever making a decision that is completely yeah. autonomous and is completely sovereign? Are, are, so. are any of our decisions completely sovereign? Or is the conditioning, the programming so deep that we like to believe we have free will, but is there such a thing as a fully sovereign decision? I'm not sure that there is. And I think there's a drive for both me and Jason to learn more about ourselves and all of that because we, you know, it comes down to control. Or for me, there's also, I feel comfortable knowing the answers to things. I feel more at ease when I can understand something. But yeah, I mean, I think especially it might have been in that book, Selfie, that I've talked about in some of the other episodes, which you can put in the show notes, too, because I think that ties a lot into what we've been talking about here is there might not be much free will. What can we even do about it, especially by the time we get to our 20s or 30s or 40s when we're thinking about this stuff? We are so developed. We are so set in ourselves. I believe that people can change to an extent, but big change is hard to make. It's very gradual. And I don't know, maybe there are certain things that we just can't change because mentally our brains get set. It's like getting set in a mold, right? It's like mm -hmm. once you set it, mm -hmm. you'd have to completely melt it down again to start, start over. And we can't do that as human beings. So I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if it matters, really. I think some people get a little afraid when they think, I don't have control over myself. I can't change myself. What do you mean? There's something that sounds kind of scary about that. But then, like, if it's just the way that we are, it's just the way that we are. And I think it's fun to explore it and all that. And it's I like to try to change. I like to evolve. I like to feel like I'm making a difference and improving and all that stuff. That feels good to me. But in the grand scheme of things... It's almost kind of relaxing to realize, hey, I don't have as much control as I as I think I do. Mm -hmm. Well, as you let go and, and surrender. And as we've talked about in other episodes, it's like maybe all of this stuff doesn't matter as much as I think it does. That to me is is a good note to end on. It's like when you find yourself obsessing over your appearance, <laughs> maybe you can just start to think this doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, and it really, I mean, especially like. <laughs> If you're afraid, if someone's going to judge you because of your gray hair, your wrinkles, or whatever, is that the type of person that you want in your life? Do you want someone? I mean, I think about that, too. Sometimes when I feel insecure about not wearing makeup, I'm thinking, gosh, like, do I really want to be around people that only approve of me when I'm wearing makeup? Mm, not really. Because mm -hmm. I don't want to wear makeup every day of my life. And I don't wear makeup every day of my life. So to have somebody in my life where I feel like I can only be around them or get their approval when I'm wearing makeup. Like that's talk about not being me. I think there are some women who maybe enjoy putting on makeup every day. Mm -hmm. But then again, do they really enjoy it or do they have they been programmed to enjoy it or have they conditioned themselves to enjoy it because they feel like that's the mask that they need to be behind? That's the, I mean, it's it's a complicated thing. It all of this is. And, <laughs> and I find that questions lead to more questions lead to more questions yeah. lead to more questions yep. and for us 
asking these questions can be extremely uncomfortable, especially when we don't have the answers and the question just leads to more questions. But this is the, to me, this is the aspect of an examined life and a mindful life Mm. is the willingness to ask these questions. So hopefully we can have a deeper understanding of who we are at the core, what's motivating us. Is there anything as a sovereign desire or a sovereign action? I mean, these are deep, deep human questions. Mm -hmm. And at the core of it, it's kind of like once you start going down the rabbit hole, you really, there's no end to it. Hence why we started this podcast, I think, is like, this is us climbing into a rabbit hole and saying, you guys want to come with us? Mm Because we don't really know where it's leading, but it's a pretty dope rabbit hole. We have no idea where the hell it's going or who the rabbit is or where the rabbit is. We might be the rabbits. Who knows? But hey, come with us, right? Let's have some carrots. But on that note, on that note, my dear friends, I'll leave you with uh, the immortal words of Freddie Mercury. Yes. And maybe we can all just benefit from Freddie's philosophy, which was nothing really matters. Anyone can see nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. It's good advice, Freddie. We love you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 